Welcome to the Almighty's Dollar Podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. Welcome to the Almighty's Dollar Podcast. This week, we're looking at the relationship between Christian fundraising, giving, and the financial support of God's people. A couple who like to keep a low profile were leaders at Mariner's Church in Southern California, where I served, and they were heavily involved in the global outreach work of the church. The husband was a longtime elder at the church, the wife was a kindred spirit, and for some unknown reason, they took a liking to me 30 years ago and have mentored me ever since. They helped me through seminary, were part of the team that counseled my wife and I as we tried to discern and act on our calling to Poland, loved our children, and have been instrumental in the development of Every Generation Ministries. In addition to teaching me many things over the years, this couple has helped Marla and me follow Jesus Christ. This husband and wife team have had this same role in the lives of many other couples around the world, and one of those young couples joined Every Generation Ministries shortly after I relocated back to the United States. Ryan, the husband, was the newest addition to our staff, was a gifted and is a gifted leader who had already established a successful business career. Choosing to set that aside, Ryan made a three-year commitment to serve with EGM. If you were to meet Ryan, you'd sense his personal godliness and his wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ, as well as the fact that he's wired to do everything he does with excellence. (laughs) He wouldn't like me to say that, but it's true. Marla and I have known Ryan's wife, Kelly, and her family since she was about five years old. Only God could have brought this awesome couple to serve with our little but growing concern. I was at my desk when my phone rang, and it was the husband. When he called, he was always warm and friendly, but sometimes I felt like I was getting a call from a combination of Peter Drucker and the Apostle Paul. After asking about Marla, the kids in the ministry told me that they had just returned from a ministry trip to Asia. They had seen the news about Ryan and Kelly joining our staff and learned that they were raising financial support so that they would be able to serve on our staff. We were so strapped for finances, EGM didn't have the funds for Ryan's meager salary, so Ryan and Kelly, being called by God to the work, chose to communicate with their wide network of contacts, family, friends, and seek personal financial support to serve on the EGM team. It was an act of faith in the faith mission tradition. The couple asked about the response, and I said that they had received nearly 80% of their financial need. What transpired next was one of my most precious memories. Unknown to me, the wife was on the line with her husband, and they both let out a sigh of relief. (laughs) They were concerned that being out of the country... They had missed out on being part of Ryan and Kelly's initial support team. They didn't want to be left out of financially supporting such a fine young couple. It's this kind of giving heart that the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote what we refer to as the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul discussed a topic that apparently was delicate and important the material support of vocational Christian workers, specifically the material support of the Apostle Paul himself. An itinerant church planting missionary, Paul had been involved in planting the church in Corinth. He'd continued planting Christian churches throughout Asia Minor. 
So it was as the spiritual founder of the church in Corinth that he wrote regarding their material support of his ministry. This passage gives us insight into Paul's understanding of his rights as an apostle, as well as his thoughts on money and ministry. Much of this letter to the church in Corinth is Paul's defense of his ministry in response to questions raised about the validity of his authority. Chapter 9 begins with Paul reaffirming his ministry as an apostle, and he specifically addressed his rights as an apostle, including his right to material support in verse 12. Paul spoke boldly about what many today would consider a very delicate subject. 1 Corinthians 9, 1-3 reads, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. As verse 3 indicates, apparently some people in Corinth had been judging Paul. They had concluded that they had no obligation to support Paul financially. The, the apostle began a weighty rhetorical attack on his critics' viewpoint. He used three arguments to establish that he had a right to the Corinthians' financial support. Precedent, natural order, and scripture. First, with precedent, Paul reminded the Corinthians that churches were supporting other apostles, including Peter, in verse 5. Therefore, Paul argued, as ministers of the gospel, Barnabas and Paul had every right to be supported by the church. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5 through 6, it reads, Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Since Paul and Barnabas had ministered in Corinth, they all the more had the right to financial support from the Corinthians in verse 12. Just as Peter, the Lord's brothers, and the other apostles had that right. Vigorously defending Barnabas and himself as their equals, Paul argued that Barnabas and Paul should receive the same care those leaders had received. The precedent had been set. Regarding natural order, in the Roman world, soldiers serving in the great Roman legions were paid for their services. So Paul drew an analogy between the soldiers and those who, like him, were serving in God's army, 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul also used two other analogies. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk, in verse 7? The workers are not denied the fruits of their labor. That agreement was the natural order for soldiers, farmers, shepherds, and, by extension, apostles. Uh, regarding the natural order, when I was young, dad and mom piled the kids into the paneled station wagon. And if you're under 50, Google will help you with that. And we headed to an orchard to help pick apples. We were able to purchase some for ourselves. And most important, while we were picking, we could eat our fill. In this large orchard, the pickers could only eat a very small percentage of the overall harvest. Yet the pickers' right to share in what they picked was the principle I decided to apply to its fullest. I'm quite sure that even today, I may still hold the orchard record 
for the number of apples eaten by a six-year-old. In fact, I ate so many apples, I got sick on the way home. (laughs) Finally, scripture. Next, and quite forcefully, Paul based his argument on Old Testament teaching. 1 Corinthians 9, 8-13 reads, Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we don't use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? Here Paul's quoting from Deuteronomy 25, 4 and following, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. To again make the point that he had a right to the Corinthian support of his ministry. A little background will be helpful. An ox would trample back and forth on the threshing floor to separate the ears of grain from the stalks. Sometimes the ox would haul a threshing sledge for a greater effect. While it was working, the ox had a leather muzzle placed over its nose and mouth so it wouldn't eat the grain. This trampling or hauling lasted all day, And the writer of Deuteronomy reminded the reader that it's wrong to muzzle the animal all day and never let it eat. Similarly, it is wrong for Christian leaders and pastors to work all day and not be allowed to receive material support for their basic needs. Paul's arguments, based on precedent, the natural order, and the Old Testament, all support his basic point. The Corinthians were obligated to support Paul as he served in ministry. The last and the best argument, though, Paul summarized his case with the strongest argument he could think of, referring to Jesus' teaching about a worker and his wages. 1 Corinthians 9.14 reads, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Paul didn't cite scripture, but he did refer to the teachings of Jesus himself. So clearly, the Corinthians knew at least some of the Lord's teaching, or Paul would not have made this reference. Paul was reminding the Corinthians what Jesus himself taught. Spiritual workers should receive a wage from the people they serve. As we've seen, this arrangement is entirely consistent with the Old Testament teachings and practice. The purpose of the Old Testament tithe was the material support of the Levite priesthood. Paul was completely consistent with Jesus' words on this topic. Luke 10, 4-7 reads, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. 
Again, in Matthew 10, 9 through 10, it reads, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. In these parallel passages, Jesus stated that the worker is worth his wages. Paul clearly understood this as a reference to spiritual work also being worthy of material support. Alluding to the authoritative words of Jesus himself, Paul saw this point as the coup de grace to his argument. Simply stated, Paul made the watertight case that the Corinthian church, which he had planted and served, was obligated before God to support him materially. But then, after a fully developed argument and showing himself clearly right about expecting the church's support, Paul turns and renounces that which he had just established. And he did so for the sake of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 15-18 reads, But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul didn't deny that he had the rights, but he renounced those rights rather than hinder the gospel of Christ in verse 12. Paul did not want to be accused of preaching the gospel for profit or for any other reason than the fact that God had called him to do so. In other words, Paul went on record affirming that the church is obligated to support its vocational workers, but never wanting to have his motives questioned, Paul renounced his right to to demand the Corinthian church's financial or material support. Next week, we'll look at the practical implications of this teaching, both here in the United States and around the world. So please join us. We hope you've enjoyed this week's The Almighty's Dollar Podcast. If you like what you hear, feel absolutely free to invite a colleague to join us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Almighty's Dollar Podcast will be the same time next week. To learn more about giving and fundraising, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.